Let's turn our attention to God's word to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12. I picked this text largely because of what we are facing today. We, we live in times that are uh, troubled times. It's, it's challenging the days we are living in. Just to illustrate, I, I like to listen, or I like to keep up with the news. And so I primarily will keep up through Babylon B website. That's my, my resource. <laughs> And, and then the counter website is not to be. And so Babylon B is just a funny satire website. It kind of makes fun of what's happening in our world. And then not to be is, is like Babylon to be, but actually what it says are, are real things that have happened. But you would think they would be satire because they're just so bizarre, some of the things that happen in our world. And, and I, I came across an article recently, and I thought this really illustrated well what I'm trying to convey today. And this article said... It says, this, this is the headline, the CDC releases guidance for transgender people on how to, quote unquote, chest feed infants. It says, because we live in a clown world. And I think that's a great summary of what's going on. And so you think about uh, the holiday we just celebrated. We just celebrated 4th of July. And what a great time to be able to take a day off, gather with family, watch some fireworks. Um, if you're like me, there, we had fireworks for about five nights in a row. People just like to shoot them off. Uh, but it's a good time to take and just celebrate. And that's a good, you know, one day to do that. Or maybe you think about Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter or Memorial Day. And yet just a few weeks before that, we had an entire month, an entire month called Pride Month. And this month is designed to celebrate what God calls an abomination. And so a man shall not lie with a man as if a woman, it is an abomination. And the Bible said that this was a, a sin that was worthy of death. So in the old covenant, it was a capital offense worthy thing to do. So not only that, but even cross-dressing is addressed in the Old Testament. A man shall not dress as if he is a woman, to look like a woman. It also says, this is an abomination before God. And yet that's what we, we our country, is celebrating Pride Month, L-B-G-T-Q-R-S-T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z, right? So lesbian, gay, trans. I mean, these are things that the Bible says, that the Bible calls an abomination, and this is what our country is celebrating, and it, it is pervasive. It is all, you, you all know, I'm preaching to the choir, but you see it in the schools. You have the transgender story time for the kids. I mean, I, I can't believe I've, that's even such a thing. I mean, think about just a few years ago, that would be like a Babylon B article. I mean, it's just so nonsensical. I mean, you have all sorts of things. You have this agenda being pumped to our kids through the media, through the kids' shows, through the movies through the news. It's, it's really every aspect of our society. And it is a, it's a fitting title to say Pride Month because think about how prideful it is to say to God, I am not the gender that you made me. You got it wrong, God. That's a very prideful thing. Or to say, well, I have preferences for the same sex. You're wrong, God. Again, that is the epitome of pride. And so this month is called Pride Month and it celebrates depravity. And this month is even celebrated at the highest levels. It's celebrated in our government with our leadership. I don't know if you are aware, a few weeks ago, there was the largest pride event in our country's history at the Capitol. Hundreds and hundreds of people were there. President Biden spoke 
the LBGTQ community kept chanting out, four more years, four more years. It said at this, at this event that the LBGTQ was their top priority. Here's something that President Biden said. He said, today, I want to send a message to the entire community, especially to, to transgender children, he says. You are loved, you are heard, you are understood, and you belong. And so this is the kind of world that we live in, a world that is celebrating depravity. It is a world, uh, it's, it's Romans 1 on steroids. I mean, that's really what it is, a nation abandoned by God. And so why am I saying all this in light of Acts 12? Well, you see, in Acts 12, I think a good example, really, in a way, a good parallel in that time of what we're seeing today. So in Acts 12, you have Christians who are suffering, who are being persecuted, who are under very wicked leadership. You have this leadership in Acts 12 that is listening to the mob. They're, they're trying to placate the mob to do what the mob likes for their own political advancement. I mean, this is very similar to what we see today. And so as we look at this text, though, hopefully, my, my goal, my prayer, is that we all will have encouragement here. We'll find encouragement. We'll find hope because we can trust that our God is sovereign even in the midst of such a crazy world. So let's look at the text. We're going to read through it first, Acts 12, and then we'll just spend some time walking through it verse by verse. It says, starting out in verse 1, it says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And we saw that it pleased the Jews. He proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four guards, uh, soldiers, four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the guard were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourselves and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison 
And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. He took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just praise you, and we give glory to your holy name. We thank you for this time where we can gather together to hear your word, the word of God that is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the heart and the soul. And it is timeless, even though this word, this account here was 2,000 years ago, we can still see this speaking to us today. And so we just pray that you would um, help us to learn, to seek to apply what we learned today to be Um, doers of the word and not hearers only. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come now to the the first one of this chapter. And I want to just give us three perspectives for living in an increasingly depraved world. So our first perspective here, starting at verse one, is we must recognize the pervasiveness of persecution. And so as we think about as our world continues, as it gets darker and darker, persecution will increase. And that is even what we see today. And it may be not as severe as what we'll see in this account, but we are seeing more and more challenges that our Christians are facing. I mean, just think about these past few years with COVID, even just some of the things with the lockdowns and shutting down churches. And so we're seeing it, but we should not be surprised because Jesus himself said, do not be surprised if the world hates you. You know, if it hates me, it will hate you. And we know that the Bible says that the men love the darkness and they hate the light because it exposes their evil deeds. And so we can kind of see a similar thing going on at this time in chapter 12. So in verse one, it says here, now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. So what about what time? Well, this is in the middle of, right at the middle of the book of Acts. And just a few chapters before, Stephen was martyred and many of the Christians then were scattered. They were persecuted. Um, it's at this, around this time that many of the Gentile believers started to come to faith in Christ. So the church was established in Antioch. There was also a prophecy of a coming famine to the land. And so some of the believers were trying to gather up materials to bring to the saints in Jerusalem. So it's, it's at this time then that Herod really ramps up the persecution. It says here, he laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And so it is a little confusing 
who is this Herod? So if you are, have read the New Testament before, you probably notice that there are several Herods who are mentioned in the New Testament. And so I just want to walk through it for just a moment so we can figure out which Herod we're talking about. Um, these Herods, they're, they're all from the Edom line. They were originally from the line of Esau, and they were just evil men. I mean, you see that time and time again. Just very wicked men opposed to the gospel. The first Herod, probably the one you maybe are thinking of, was Herod the Great. This is the first Herod that is mentioned in the Gospels. Herod the Great was responsible for massacring the children in the Christmas time. And this Herod had 10 wives. So he had several kids, and that's why we see so many Herods throughout the Bible. Another Herod, one of his sons, was Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch. And so this was the Herod at the time of John the Baptist, the one who had uh, John the Baptist executed. So that would be this son of Herod the Great. And then you have the Herod mentioned here in Acts chapter 12, Herod Agrippa I. And so this was the nephew of Herod the Tetrarch. This was the grandson of Herod the Great. And so this is the Herod that is interacting with the Christians at this time. And then there's also Herod Agrippa II, which will come on a little later in the book of Acts, and that will be the Herod that Paul interacts with. So hopefully that is as clear as mud for you this morning of who this Herod is. So Acts 12 then, this Herod, he, um, he starts persecuting the Christians. And so he, he had a, himself, he just kind of had a ra- ra- rocky background. Uh, he had some debts that weren't paid. At one point he was even thrown in prison. And so then he was released from prison and was given reign in this area in northern Palestine. So he's trying to seek to, to appease or to please the Jews. And, and he finds out one way to do it is to mistreat, is to persecute the Christians. And so what you have here, you think about our day today, you have wicked leadership and you have Christians being persecuted in order to gain political favor, in order to appeal to the mob. And so it's very similar to what we face today. And so you have now an ex- a specific example with James. So notice in verse 2. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So this is kind of interesting. This is James. This is the James. Peter, James, and John. One of the three. And it says here, he had him put to death with a sword. And that's it. Nothing else is said about him. It's just a quick martyrdom of this first apostle. I did find a little information about this from church history. This is from Fox's Book of Martyrs. It says here, when the case was over and James had been condemned to death, the man who had instigated the trial was deeply moved by the behavior and continence of the apostle. James was so filled with the spirit of God that on the way to the place of execution, the one who had initiated the charges against him made a confession of faith in Christ. When he had asked James to forgive him, the apostle said, Peace be to thee, brother. James then kissed him, and both men were beheaded for their faith. So you have here the first uh, apostle being martyred, and he he was killed. Why was he killed? Was was it because he was a robber? Was it because he was a criminal? Was he a murderer? No, it was just he died for saying words, saying things that were not popular in those days. And this is a good little side note just for 
the evidence, the powerful evidence of the resurrection. I mean, imagine for a moment that you are following Christ. You have forsaken your profession. You've given up everything. You're following him around for years. You're, you're listening to his teaching. You're seeing his miracles. And then he says, this is how you will know that I am the Messiah. I am the son of God. I'm going to die, but in three days I will rise from the dead. Now imagine he dies and nothing happens. He doesn't rise from the dead. What would you do? Would you continue following him? Would you continue promoting his beliefs, promoting his religion, knowing that it could lead to your own death? Maybe you die on a cross. It's madness. It's, it's insane to think that anyone would do that. And yet all of the disciples did that. They followed Christ after he died because he did rise from the grave. And so they all died in horrific ways, all except Judas who betrayed him and hung himself. And then John, John didn't die. He is actually believed he died of old age, but they tried to kill him several times. They actually tried to boil him alive and he survived. They blinded him. And John maybe had it the worst because he had to live a long life hearing of all of his friends die one after another in terrible and horrific ways. I mean, Peter is said died on a cross upside down for Christ. And so this is just a powerful, powerful evidence for an empty tomb that Christ did rise, rise again. And so this also was prophesied by Jesus as he spoke to John and James. And he said to them, you will take, or he said to them, can you take of this cup? And they said, we will, we can. He said, you will. And so this is what Jesus said would happen. And so James here loses his life very early on. And we're not exactly sure why. We're not given the reason, but we do know that God is sovereign and we can trust his plan. And I don't think James was complaining to go to heaven early. Um, But you can see here just a, a vivid illustration of the power of words, If you say the wrong thing, you might get canceled. You might lose your job. You may be censored. It sounds very familiar. In this case, it got so bad that James said the wrong things and he was killed for his faith. Well, Herod realized in killing James that it it made the Jews really happy. So notice what happens in verse 3. It says, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So Peter, hey, they're happy I killed James. Let's take out Peter. Let's take out the head guy. This is their preacher. This is the, the man. So he had Peter arrested. It says here during the feast of unleavened bread. So this was a seven day uh, spring feast that was followed following Passover. So essentially he wanted to just give it a little time let the, the, the events of Passover end. And then he could bring Peter out in front of everyone. And then he could have this public execution of Peter. So again, he was wanting to please the Jews. He was wanting to gain political favor. So verse four says, when he had seized him to Peter, so when Herod seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So this is kind of extreme. You think about this poor fisherman and suddenly Herod is taking four squads of guards to guard him. Well, we do know that earlier in the book of Acts, Peter had somehow miraculously escaped prison. And so maybe Herod had that on his mind. 
Four guards, that would have looked like two guards being chained to Peter and then two guards that were guarding the door. And they would have ships every four hours. They would rotate in and out to protect or to make sure that he didn't escape. And so this is a, it seems to be quite over the top. Herod is just trying to make sure that, that Peter stays, that he doesn't escape. And so you have here him in prison. You can see here the reality of persecution, that it, as the world gets darker, as it gets more depraved, they're going to hate us more and more. And so in this case, these prisoners, one of the rules at that time was if, if a prisoner let a guard, or if, if a guard let a prisoner escape, and whatever that penalty was for the prisoner it would be placed on the guard. So they were definitely uh, very careful at this point in time. But you have some hope in verse 5. It says, so Peter was kept in the prison. It says, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. So yes, there is persecution and there is, it is pervasive and it is something that we need to be on guard for in our culture as things get darker and darker. Recognize that, that the darkness hates the light. And you can see a vivid illustration of this here with Peter in prison. But we do have hope. And so it's our second point. We have the perspective is this, understand the power of prayer. So you see this put on display here that God answers prayers, that God is awesome and he is powerful and he can do whatever he wants. Verse five said, so Peter was kept in prison, but, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. So that was fervent. It, it was agonizing. It was, they were passionate. They were praying earnestly for him to get out of prison. And I think this is convicting. I know it's convicting for me. Um, do we fervently pray? I mean, are we praying for the persecuted church? Are we praying for those who are in prison? Hebrews 13 says, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. I mean, this is a command in scripture. Are we pay- praying for those who are persecuted? Maybe you think, well, I don't know who's persecuted. I'm not sure who to pray for. Well, Voices of the Martyrs website is a great place to visit Heart Cry Ministries, another resource to just help us to think of how we can pray for those because prayer is powerful. So verse six says, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. So just imagine you're put in prison and you know that the next day you're probably going to be executed. Do you think you would be sleeping at this point in time? Peter sleeping. And I, I think this just points to his faith. You know, one of the things that Jesus had said to Peter earlier in the book of John, at the very end, he, Jesus said, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, so when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. So maybe Peter was thinking about these, this promise from Christ. He was trusting in Christ. He knew that it was not yet his time to go. And so he was able then, even in this tense and stressful time, he was able to, to sleep and to trust in the Lord. If the Lord was at work, maybe he was thinking, hey, God freed me last time. Maybe he'll free me this time. I mean, I don't know. But I think it's good for us just to think about. We can trust in the Lord, even in difficult times. 
So now in verse 7, we have this amazing rescue. It's just incredible what happens. It says, And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So you have this amazing account happen. Suddenly an angel appears. He he strikes off the the bonds. He says, Get on your clothes. Come on. Let's go. Let's get out of here. And verse 9, And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know what was being done by the angel. Um, or if the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So Peter, he's just kind of like, he just woke up. He's, he's like, okay, let me follow this angel around. He didn't really know what was going on. Verse 10, when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. So you have supernatural work here, the gate suddenly opening. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were were gathered together and were praying. So he he realized, wait, this is real. He was thinking it was a vision. And he realized that God himself had rescued him from Herod. And so he went there to the house of Mary. This seemed to be kind of the headquarters for the Christians in Jerusalem in that area. And it says here, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. So this would have been probably the John, the Mark, the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. And so it it really is an, an amazing account of God rescuing him out of the prison. The last part of verse 12, many were gathered and were praying. And then earlier, it said, praying fervently. So again, are we those who pray? Are we praying fervently? Are we trusting in the Lord? Are we crying out to God? I know so many times I, I prayed and then God answered my prayer, but I forgot he answered it. It's just, we, God answers so many prayers and we just need to be those who are, who are constantly praying, trusting that the Lord will answer our prayers. Verse 13 continues, when he had knocked at the door, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. So it's kind of a humorous thing that happens. Peter gets miraculously rescued from prison, he comes to the house, and the girl is so excited that it's him that she forgets to open the door, and she runs back inside to let everyone know. It's really kind of ironic. And then the irony of their uh, response. You have these fervent people praying passionately, and then they say, hey, Peter's here, and they say, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. How could God answer our prayers like that, right? And I think we can all relate. Again, you know, how often do we pray and then we don't think God will actually answer the prayer. That's why we pray, because we believe God will answer. And so in this case, let's pray. Let's pray expectantly. Let's pray trusting, knowing that God answers prayers and, not, and don't give up hope. Now, I have a really neat story. A friend of mine, we grew up together as kids, childhood friends. And 
we had so much fun together, such a good time. But as we got older, he kind of went down one path and I went down the other. So I thankfully went down the pastor path and he went down the partying lifestyle. And so I, I prayed for him for a long time. And I found out recently that he got sent to prison and he just so happened to meet a Christian in prison. And now he's a Christian too. And uh, it just was an amazing thing to think. So many years of praying and God answered my prayer. So for all of you, just continue to pray. If you have friends or, or family, people who don't, who don't know Christ, continue praying. Trust in the Lord through that. So 16 continues, says, but Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then they left and went to another place. So just notice the response. They, they saw Peter. They were amazed. And I, I just can't help but think of the word faith, uh, false teachers out there who will say things like, as long as you have enough faith, God will make you rich and healthy. You'll never be sick. Just name it and claim it, call it and haul it, grab it and bag it, is what they say, right? And that's false teaching. It's bad. It's heresy. And one of the things they do is they'll say, here's how you can show me your faith. Give me some money. The more you give, the more we'll see how faithful, how much faith you have. And then sadly, people give away so much money, they come to get healed, and they're not healed. And then they say, well, you didn't have enough faith. And that's the kind of message. It's, it's tragic. And they, they take this, this garbage and they bring it to South America and Africa, where people are starving, and they'll give them this kind of message. But in this case, this account gives us quite the opposite. These people were praying. Uh, they, they had more of it seemed, uh, Lord, I believe help my unbelief kind of faith. I mean, they, you can just see how surprised they were. Um, this doesn't fit well with the word faith teaching at all. Their faith was struggling, and yet God still answered their prayers. And so we can trust that God is sovereign, and he will answer prayers. But we definitely need to steer clear uh, of those who teach otherwise, that you just have faith, and you'll be rich, and you'll, you'll be perfectly healthy. It's, it's just a terrible, terrible false teaching. So 1 Peter 3 is a kind of a neat little cross-reference. Notice what he says. This is written after this account. And for this is when Peter would have been older, reflecting on life. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So who knows? Maybe Peter was even thinking about this account when he wrote this in First Peter, thinking about how the Lord had delivered him out of prison. This is a neat uh, reference. So verse 18 says, Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And so no small disturbance, meaning it was a very large disturbance because these soldiers would be killed because they did not keep this prisoner from being set free. And so it says in 19, when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and he ordered that they be led away to execution. There it is, execution for not protecting the prisoner. Then Herod, so then he went down to Judea, to Caesarea, and was spending time there. 
And so, again, according to the Justinian's Code, a guard who allowed a prisoner to escape would suffer the same penalty that awaited the prisoner. So you can see why they were trying to figure out what was going on. And then you have Herod just so quickly, so easily, just executing all the soldiers after this event happens. And again, as we think about earlier with uh, James being martyred and uh, the the disciples continuing to follow Christ as a good evidence for the resurrection. This is also a good one here as well because the argument is made, well, the the soldiers, someone broke in and they stole Jesus' dead body out of the empty tomb. Things like that are made, arguments to disprove the resurrection. But this shows how serious it was for these guards to watch over Christ. And it's just yet another great evidence that Jesus did rise again, that he did rise from the grave. And then with Herod, you would think that he would, maybe by the second time that Peter had been uh, miraculously delivered from prison, maybe he would start thinking about that. Like maybe there's something to this Christianity, but that's not what happens. Instead, it says here that Herod went to Caesarea to spend some time there. And so something kind of neat, kind of some similar in a way that's happened in recent years, my church has been blessed with the opportunity of being able to go to South America to train pastors. And so I've actually been able to go to Costa Rica several times. One, our senior pastor went down to El Salvador to teach some pastors. And when he was down there, it was actually, it was so dangerous that they were recommending that international people don't come into the country and he just went anyways and trusted in the Lord through it all. And God protected him. We're thankful for that. But when he was down there, there was a pastor who was threatened by the local, local gangsters over there. And they basically said to him, they said, look, if you don't stop preaching and you don't get out of town, we're going to kill you and all of your kids. And so everyone was telling the pastor, you need to get out. You need to get out of town. These guys are really dangerous. And the pastor said, I can't get out. I got my church here. I need to trust in the Lord. He'll protect me. And so the pastor stayed and he trusted in the Lord and he prayed. And three, three weeks later, another gang killed that gang, all the members who were threatening his life. And so that's something that happened just about a year or so ago and just really an amazing example of God protecting his people, of, of the power of prayer. So now let's look at this final section here, the penalty for pride. And just a little side note, for those of you in the seminary, um, just remember this point, the power of the letter P for your homiletical outlines. So write that down, seminary students. So verse 20, now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So we're talking now about Herod again. He was very angry. And with one accord, they came to him. And having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. So you have here these people from Tyre and Sidon. Um, Herod was upset with them. And so it seems like maybe they got blasted. They, they bribed him or something to try to appease Herod. So they're trying to butter up to Herod to get on his good side. And then we'll notice what happens in verse 21. It says, On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. So you have Herod coming up in front of everyone. The Jewish historian Josephus said that at that event, Herod wore a garment of silver plates 
and these garments, they glistened in the sun. So you can just imagine this, this leader coming up and all these silver plates shining. Maybe he probably looked majestic. He, uh, who knows how he looked? <clears throat> but the people definitely were amazed by it. Verse 22, the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. So they're crying out, the voice of a God, not of a man. The voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. So you can see here just swift punishment by God on the proud, on this proud man. You think about Herod. Herod was a mighty man, a man who struck James earlier with the sword, who killed one of God's people for not doing anything wrong. And yet here he gets struck down by an angel and he's killed by these little worms. Um, Here's a quote that talks about what could have happened. It says, Luke's mention of worms matches an infection of intestinal roundworms. Such worms grow from 10 to 16 inches long. They can clog the intestines, causing extreme pain and even vomiting of the worms and, and death. So just a, a horrific way to go. And you see there just a swift form of punishment by God on this proud man. 24, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking with them John, who was also called Mark. So you have here now God taking out this evil, wicked leader And then the word of the Lord continues to grow. So we just have here great hope in the power of God, the power of the gospel. So I just want to give just a few takeaways as we close up this morning. Um, First of all, just a reminder that God is not mocked. God knows. God sees. You think about the world we live in. You think about the crazy things that are happening, the crazy policies. Think about the unborn, the millions of babies slaughtered in the womb. Um, There's so much going on, but God is sovereign. God knows. God is not mocked. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He knows all things. He's omniscient. You can see with this account with Herod, God is patient. God gave Herod time. And yet there comes a point when the patience of God comes to an end. And that happened with Herod and he struck him down. Not only that, God is sovereign over rulers. He is the one who, who brings, he lifts him up, he brings him down. God is a God who answers prayers. Here's some Proverbs on pride. It says, pride goes before destruction in a haughty spirit before stumbling. It says, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And so let's focus then on striving to be humble. Let's fight pride. What is pride? Pride is the mind. This is from Stuart Scott. It is the mindset of self. It is a focus on self and the service of self, a pursuit of self-recognition and self-exaltation, and a desire to control and use all things for self. So you notice that word self, repeated self, this self. We want to strive for humility. We want to want to be those who say Christ must increase, we must decrease. And so we need to want to have the, the mindset of Christ, a focus on God, a focus 
on others. Uh, Our goal needs to be to exalt and glorify God and to please him in all that we say and do. So the book of Daniel is interesting. In Daniel chapter 4, it gives us really a similar parallel to what we see with Herod. But it's an Old Testament example from a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. So I thought I could just read this final part of Daniel 4. And it's really striking similarities, but then also some contrasts as well. So notice what it says here about Nebuchadnezzar. And this was a man who was... At the time, the most powerful man in all of the ancient world, the most popular, he was the man. And notice what happens. It says in verse 28, it says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is this, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. So you have here Nebuchadnezzar praising himself of these wonderful things that he did. By the way, he had just recently been given a warning that he needed to repent of his pride, and yet this is how he responds. In verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. So immediately God struck him down. He turned him into a stupid, dumb animal. They would wander around the castle grounds eating grass. And he was like this for seven years. And then it says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the heaven of the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors, my Lord, sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this time. We are grateful for your word, and just these reminders that you are a God who opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And even as we live in such a a depraved time, a a time where there's an entire month devoted to celebrating such wickedness, we can trust that you are good and that you are sovereign and you are in control. So Lord, help us to be prepared for persecution as it increases. Help us to be those who pray 
consistently, that that we are steadfast in our prayers. And we just pray also that you would help us to battle the sin of pride and that all these things we would do for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.